0: bulletproof radio a state of high performance
1: you're listening to bulletproof radio with dave asprey today's cool fact of the day is going to help you biohack the secret of charm now it turns out that charm has more to do with personality than looks And there's a specific trait that's common to all charmers. They actively listen to people. And that helps people feel an immediate connection and make them feel welcomed and embraced. And another trait that's really high on the charm meter is that they remember details. From names, to family stories, to job specifics in previous conversations, names of people's kids. And charmers can do this because they're authentically empathetic and make people just feel at home. A lot of them are really good at sales. So there is definitely a science uh, to knowing how to just be nice and be memorable and authentically care about other people, which which I think matters a lot. And it's something that leads you to have a greater sense of community. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. Check out Qualia NAD risk free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15 Qualia NAD. Plus. It's what I use. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. One of the laws that came out in my new book, Game Changers, is all about how important a community is. After interviewing you know, 500 people on Bulletproof Radio, asking them what matters, including Jordan, you've been on before, and answered that question at the end of the show, three most important things. Uh, by the way, I just told everyone I'm yeah. doing Jordan Harbinger. Sorry. I, I, we're doing they this live. They probably saw it in the show title. Yeah, then, that's right? a fair point. But anyway, this is Jordan Harbinger you're listening to. Um. who is a, is a great friend and I was just talking about in Game Changers, this idea that building your community is something that came out from these interviews with people saying, if you're hanging around with the wrong people or your community doesn't support the kinds of relationships that you have in your life, that you will not achieve the things that you want to do in your life. And Jordan, since you've been on before, I just wanted to be able to, to pick your brain about the latest things that you're working on and get an understanding because you've been on now actually three times oh wow yeah neuroscience you've talked about um, you get in-stage charming and I just I've, I've learned a lot from you and we see each other social events like this and you've started a new podcast that's right the Jordan Harbinger show and you've been doing phenomenally well interviewed some people like Robert Green who I phenomenally just I I love the guy his work changed my life his 48 laws of power and his Really, probably his opus just came out a couple months ago, and you've actually interviewed him. I haven't interviewed him about that yet. So I, I wanted to get you on because you've—how many episodes in total in your life have you recorded?
2: Oh, man, probably over a 1,000. Okay, so I'm at about 550. Yeah, it's a lot. But, I but, think but, after 500, you kind of—maybe there's a little bit of a—
1: But, but you, you keep learning, and, and yeah. so in terms of getting wise. Uh, for me, I wanted to structure the wisdom, but no one's called me the Larry King of podcasting. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and so- You're the year, Larry King of yak butter coffee.
1: Uh, there you go. I, I'll I'll take that one. Now, y- the thing is, you're a lawyer before that. Your, your background is, you're a Wall Street lawyer. Outed. I just yeah. got outed as a lawyer. Yeah, it's yeah. true. I, and I, I noticed I felt kind of sweaty uh, when you walked into the room. Yeah. Uh, we're recording it's the mycotoxins that lawyers carry. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, we're recording live uh, down here in LA. We're both here for the summit conference, I think. And I want to understand how the heck do you go from being a lawyer to being a, the Larry King of podcasting? Yeah. Like, like what kind of path did you wander to just leave Wall Street and all that?
2: Yeah. What happened was I initially was working in school like every other kid, and I thought, you know, this is not that hard. I can teach myself the geometry on the test, and that was kind of school for me. And then when I got to law school, it was an entirely different ball game. I was definitely not the smart kid anymore. I was maybe at the bottom of the pile, but luckily <laughs> everybody was kind of drinking all the time, and I could just outwork everyone because they were still kind of coasting on their smarts. Then, though, I got to Wall Street... And everyone was a hard worker. Everyone was really smart. There was no more competitive advantage. And one of the guys that had hired me, he was never in the office. And I thought, huh, he must work from home. Right. So if I get to work from home, they won't figure out that I'm the least qualified guy at this Wall Street law firm. And then it'll take them longer to figure that out and fire me. So I, I remember asking him. I said, Dave, his name is Dave, too how do you work from home so much? And he was like, why do you think I work from home? I said, well, you're never in the office. And he explained that he was actually generating business. He was doing jujitsu. He was going to golf games. He was doing charity events. He was all over dinners and things like that. And basically, if there was an investment banker in the city of New York that had a day off or an afternoon off, his job was to go play squash or do a bike ride with that guy or gal and get their business. And I thought, This is what I need to learn because I can't really make myself that much smarter that quickly uh, as a first year, second year associate. I'm probably not going to be able to add more work hours to the day because it's Wall Street. Everyone's already working seven days a week, 16 hours a day. What I can do is figure out how to create these relationships like Dave's doing. And by the time all of my peers figure out that they need to be networking, I'll have a five-year plus advantage on them and be good at it. And maybe I'll figure that out before they figure out I don't belong here and get fired. So I had imposter syndrome plus kind of a lucky break of finding a new competitive advantage that I wanted to work to develop. So I developed that and then that evolved into my studies through that evolved into the show.
1: It's, a, it's funny, you reminded me of something early in my career when I was maybe 25 my first job in Silicon Valley before I went to the company that held Google's first servers and all, I had this this guy who was probably about 50 who just worked in IT. Okay, I was in an IT department at a company called 3Com, big networking company. Yeah,
2: they made those little card modems and
1: stuff. Yeah, modems and all. We, we bought Palm Pilot, claim oh, like yeah. to fame. And this guy didn't do anything you're supposed to do in IT. All he would do is go out and meet with vendors. And he saw that I understood the technology, said, I need someone who gets the tech to come with me. So I got to follow this guy around, his name was Klaus, he'll probably hear this, and be like, hey. And <laughs> he literally showed me how that side of business happens even though I wasn't in a sales role or anything like that. And learning how companies help each other really did change the trajectory and the scope of my career. But they don't teach you that in, certainly not in computer science school or even in business school really. No. Uh, So you were fortunate you had someone who
2: kind of took you under his wing and showed you how it worked and you just did it Oh, I wish he took me under his wing (laughs) He was just kind of like you'll figure this out eventually And he had the same sort of networking advice as everybody did in law school, which was you guys will be fine Uh, You just need to put your time in and that's not true. No, that's kind of like saying You're gonna get healthier if you just keep showing up to the gym or something. It's not necessarily true I mean you you will definitely get somewhere by working out every day but whether you get to just joint pain and fatigue is is a, is the question right so you have to you you have to learn the stuff on your own because nobody really can teach you i in fact tried to learn this and i remember taking dale carnegie classes and oh, yeah. things like that and and they were okay but i found eventually that if somebody doesn't like you it's not because you don't have a firm handshake and good eye contact which is what they were teaching it's yeah. like look if a guy in the sweater vest at the YMCA, at the Dale Carnegie class, could really teach you something that would change your life that dramatically, they probably wouldn't have been teaching those particular classes. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying those people are not qualified they helped a lot of people I learned a ton from those types of classes but what I didn't get was the nuance that was required if somebody doesn't like you if they don't give you a million dollar law deal for your firm it's not because you didn't do the the memory palace where you remember that their kids play tennis like these are kind of the tactics instead of the overlying strategy of getting people to know like and trust you and so that was kind of what I became obsessed with over time.
1: You interviewed a bunch of people about that, but on the Jordan Harbinger Show, you made a huge transition where you're now just talking to the most successful people you can find, and then you're talking about strategies and perspectives and insights. So you went from this: how do I build that rapport with people, which was maybe stage one for you, right? And now, like, how do I kick ass? And you can see why I would want you on the show because yeah. you know that's that that question you've you've already answered um, in previous interviews. But it's that idea: like, how do you perform better? What have you learned so far on the Jordan Harbinger show? Like, like, how can I steal this from my game sure, sure. changers ideas? Not that the book's already out.
2: But. Well, what I what I will say is having to restart from essentially zero earlier with the Jordan Harbinger show actually was really helpful in a lot of ways, because what I found was when starting a new venture, then this will be no surprise to any entrepreneur or business owner who's lost it all, so to speak. Your network is exactly the thing that nobody could, they you can't get sued out of it. You yeah. can't get it removed by a repo man if you go bankrupt or something. You're not going to lose it because you. Well, in this day and age, you won't lose it because you move to a new town. Right. You know, you might not be close to the same people, but you're still connecting online and doing everything you need to do. So, what I found was it's the best insurance policy for you slash your business that is impossible to purchase it's also the one thing, aside from your skill set, that can't be removed from you. So unless you're going to do everything yourself, your skills, of course, are are primary, right? But unless you're going to do everything yourself, you need the right people around you. You need people to know, like, and trust you. Because when I had to restart with the Jordan Harbinger Show, after 11 years of doing other podcasts, what I did was I called guys like you who have huge shows and was like, hey... Can I get a little bit of a promo boost in your social? Can you tell people about my new show? Can we do an interview later down the line? Can I have you on my show? And that was gasoline on the fire. And it's it took me 11 years to build up my original show. It's taken me less than 11 months to surpass that previous show's audience. That is, that is
1: profound. And something that I, I was just raised to believe that uh, no one's going to help you. Like, like You're going to have to do this on your own. Sure. And what I eventually learned that, that's helped me a lot at, at Bulletproof and just in life is that people actually want to help you. All the time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's not also not something that they teach you, where it's okay to just, hey, would you mind giving me a hand? People might say no, but what is it that stops
2: most humans from asking for help? I think there's a few there's a few things. Fear of rejection, of course, no surprise there. I mean, that's the same thing that kept all of us single until we were like 40. (laughs) I mean, uh, anyway, (laughs) that's but there's there's so there's fear of rejection, right? But there's also the idea that especially when we're talking about business owners and things Mm -hmm. like that. Let's say you're a typical, even if you're a stay at home mom, you don't have to be a, a business owner to be busy. As hell, right? Right. And so you've got a hundred things to do, whether it's business stuff, like, okay, I need to curate my Instagram. I need to make uh, some little video clips and share those with my team. Or I need to pick the kids up from school and get little Jeremy to ballet, whatever it is. You've got a billion things to do you know how to do those things. You know how to drive somewhere. You know how to film a clip. You know how to edit that. And if you don't, you can learn a little bit of the ropes. What is far down on the list of priorities because it's not an immediate need and you don't see the what's in it for me right now. I just got to get through the freaking day. Thank you very much. Is networking and relationship development. And even if you did see the ROI immediately, it's kind of like, how do you do that? Do you log in Instagram and upload the clip? No, it's okay. I guess I go to this thing and then I schmooze. You do that once or twice when you're new to a profession or a business and some guy tries to sell you car insurance and another guy says, hey, when you're ready to retire, park your money with me. And you go, why did I fight an hour in traffic (laughs) to eat a stale donut, have some crappy coffee, be late for dinner with my kids so that I could get pitched by a guy in a suit that doesn't even fit, right? Right. And so you stop doing the networking and relationship stuff because – you don't see the ROI and it's a black box. So it automatically gets pushed to the bottom of your hundred things to-do list where you never get to it. It's on your to-do list right underneath right book, right? <laughs> and and so we never actually try to do it. And that's problematic because this is the one area where you can't make up for lost time. Like if you need to get your product done sooner, let's say you need to rush ship a shipment of Bulletproof Coffee, you could probably find the 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 way to get it there sooner it would just be expensive. But if you need to build a network overnight, you can't. It doesn't matter it how much years. money you have. It, it, there's no amount of resources that says you need a net, this network, this people, this group of people that know, like, and trust you. Yeah, you can build that tomorrow because you're a multimillionaire. No, you can't. You nope. have to build those relationships over time. And it's, it's kind of
1: funny, people think money solves problems. I know when I was young, uh, I was absolutely convinced that if I could just make enough money, um, then I'd be happy. And when I made my six million bucks, uh, it didn't make me any happier. And when I lost the $6 million a couple years later, that pissed me off a lot. Maybe it made me less happy sure. for a while. But the general happiness quotient doesn't go up. In... Uh, in my book, Game Changers, that I'm shamelessly plugging here. It's all right, it's your show. <laughs> exactly. I was just gonna say like, dang, laying it on hella thick. Uh, you called it uh, because I'm asking listeners who love the show to buy the book to support the launch. It's Game Changers, you know where you can find it online, or if it's after December 4th in your favorite place. Uh, I actually talk about happiness as one of the three things. All the people on the show, including you, have talked about this. You will not perform well if you're unhappy. So your happiness is something that you, you must own, and if you have that stupid record in your head that I had that, oh, when I have money, I'll be happy. When I have a Ferrari or whatever the heck, none of that makes you happy. And you and I both know some people with hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, they're who are, freaking miserable. They're, in fact, they're afraid of losing it and it and it didn't do anything for them. So I actually go through the, the research on money and happiness and above some certain le- set limit that's in the book that's debatable, but it, it's a relatively low amount of money. It's right around the average income in the U.S., you don't get happier. I mean, you can pay someone to wash your socks. You know, you, you can have some more conveniences, but it doesn't cause happiness. And I know people. Uh, in fact, in Cambodia, um, I I saw people make a dollar a day, and I swear they were happier than a lot of people I've seen walking around in L. A. or New York. It's like like they had nothing, but there well, was there's
2: s- no surprise. L. A. Maybe don't pick L. <laughs> LA a. All right, okay. pick Perfect. like you know pick. Pick some place. I don't know where are people happy in America now. I think I just I think I'm proving your point for you right now. I can't think of a city where we know that everyone's always. Sorry, I live in Canada. San Diego. They're, they're all pretty happy up there. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, yeah.
1: there you go. But but it's it's one of those things. So that that that's a part of it there. And you you would think if you haven't had a chance to be successful like that that oh if you have a million dollars it'll be easy to form a network. But it's not. It's much worse because what happens is. All sorts of people come out of the woodwork. Exactly. And they're trying to sell you insurance and they want something from you and, and you know, they think you're gonna somehow give them money or make them rich. So a lot of the the very wealthy people that I've been blessed to coach or, or just to know and become friends with, they're hyper selective and there's, there's almost like they're putting energy into repelling... Uh, leeches. I, I don't know the better yeah. word. So it creates an uncomfortable pressure for them, and, and they're they're less likely to drive nice cars and things like that.
2: It's so true. It's really funny to hear this because you're right. A lot of people think money will solve problems or just make things a lot easier. And in some categories, that's true. Sure. But when you talk to, I was interviewing Shaquille O'Neal, and one of the questions I had for him because I don't know slash care much about basketball per se was, <laughs> how do you know who to trust? Yeah, you know, you're a world famous A list celebrity with I don't know. I, I would say hundreds of millions probably when Mm -hmm. you include endorsements and businesses. How do you know that the idea that somebody you've known for your entire life or that you really trust normally has is a good idea for you. You can't be an expert in insurance and Uh telecom and apparel and all this stuff. And he said, Oh, you know, I've got a panel and the panel, which he made through his relationships, yep. is full of people that he can trust, and he gets them all theoretically in the same room or on the same call. And this is like his manager, his mom, his uncle, mm-hmm. and a, a select other people that he's made through. uh you, He wouldn't call it networking, but they're relationships yeah. that he deliberately created so that if his lawyer says – or accountant says, hey, we've got a great investment opportunity, his lawyer can say – yeah, I don't know if this is a great idea or if those two are in cahoots and they say this is a great idea, his mom can say, you're not gonna like that, I know you. Or his uncle or best friend or coach can say, that's gonna make you look stupid if you rep this company. And so everyone's keeping each other in check. So he only does things where he thinks this is gonna be good for my brand and it's gonna be lucrative and it's gonna be something I enjoy doing. So he ends up being quite happy because of the relationships looking out for him. And it's, it, it's the sort of thing where you can be happy if you build that,
1: but if you don't build that along the way, if you become successful, and you become successful, I've become successful more than once because you can become unsuccessful. Yeah, that's <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> um, what, if you don't have those trusted people you can call uh, who actually you know because you've known them for a while and because you've you've helped them, they've helped you, you know they're not gonna BS you. And that is what ultimately comes from networking. but. What's the difference between networking and just having friends?
2: Yeah, so the difference between networking and having friends probably doesn't exist. I think networking is making friends deliberately, whereas I think most people think when they have friends, it's the same crew of people they grew up with that they've known their whole life. Yeah. Whereas when I think of networking, I totally want to acknowledge, first of all, is a dirty word because people, oh, yeah. when they think of it, they're like, hey there, Dave Asprey. Yeah, whenever you need some coffee, call me, right? Like that's not yeah. how you act at all. But that's what people who think about networking are, are thinking. I don't want to look like the guy who's like, hey, my name's Jordan. You want to buy a case of books? You know, that everyone, <laughs> if they think it, of it as selling, but pretending you're not selling, and that's not what it is. So- when guys like you and I go to events like the curated ones we end up going to you you, have, you first of all you have non solicitation policies which yeah. don't even pretty much need to be there cuz nobody's doing that the way that the networking works is someone will say something like you know i'm i'm having this really gnarly thyroid problem and you have that conversation over breakfast and you say oh you should talk to dave because he's had thyroid issues, and I think he solved them, and you introduced that person to you, and I don't think, all right, so now that I did that, they both owe me one. You it, just forget you know, about it, I, right? I'm
1: happy you said that. The The idea of business karma is real, and, and what that means is that you just help someone, and you don't expect anything back, and I, I had a situation like that about five years ago. Um, I got an email at two in the morning from someone I barely knew, and he said, Dave, my, my baby, 18 months old, just hit his head and might die. Like, what are the things that oh you know God. about this? And I didn't even think twice. I wrote like a, a five-page email to him about all of the things in what order, based on what I know from you know Headstrong and stuff like that. And and I didn't hear back. You know, I, I knew he was he was busy. And I ran into him in Portland uh, about two years later, and he said, Dave, I, I just gotta tell you, I think that saved my son's life. And wow. I was like, whoa. And then, he said, "You know, uh, I, I know this is going back a few years. Another podcaster had decided to sort of ruin my reputation, and <laughs> for for commercial okay. gain, I might add. So anyway, he said, I got to sit down with this podcaster, uh, and uh, on someone's couch in a living room in a non you know non business setting,
2: neutral zone.
1: Yeah, neutral zone. You said, and and I I just told him the story of what you did like that, and and the guy said, you know, yeah, he you know Dave didn't really deserve that, but you know, nothing I can do now. But it, it was really weird. Two years later, that this guy was, you know." basically watching my back in an environment that I had no knowledge of and I had no expectation of. I didn't know I'd ever talk to the guy again. But just kindness and just helpfulness without the mental bank account. Yeah, That's what I didn't understand when I was 20. And it, I'm just so happy you said that because if, yeah. if everyone listening to this, it doesn't matter if you wanna go be an entrepreneur and you, that might not even be your brain type. It doesn't matter what your job is, or even if you have a job. If you're looking at it every time you meet someone uh, to... uh you know, to to have a transactional, I got advice for you. Join a multi level marketing company and yeah, see what exactly. your life looks
2: like. Exactly. It's funny you should mention that because those are the typically the same people who say it's all about networking. It's all about relationships. It's all about helping each other. And it's totally the opposite in a lot of those organizations. But the key is to, like you said, like like we're both saying, help other people without the attachment to getting anything in return. And then also on that note, don't keep score. So when you said mental or emotional bank account That's really important because if you help 100 people and 99 of them never help you back, it's not because they're selfish bricks. Maybe they can't. Maybe you're the one that has a lot of the value to add and they don't know how to help you. They would if they could, but they can't. If one person, though, you help out of those 100, then says, you know, it'd be great if you came and spoke to our national sales organization. There's gonna be 7,000 people in the audience. We'll fly you out there and you'll get a fee. Well, that's 1% of the people that you helped gave you an opportunity. So just repeat this. This is a numbers game. It's like gambling, except every time you lose, you lose zero because it's house money. And every time you win, you win whatever you win, the jackpot.
1: And and plus, it feels good to help people. Like One one of my favorite things, which is is kind of dorky, uh, at a grocery store near my house, if you spend 200 bucks on groceries, which is hard not to do if you buy good food, they give you a $10 coupon that's good for your next purchase, but it's on paper, and it's not stuck to my account. I'm not gonna keep the piece of paper, so I just got this habit. I just go to the person behind me in line, and I say, hey, can I give you $10? Mm -hmm. Like, Like, here's a coupon, you can spend it right now for $10, uh, and like, what, what do you want? I'm like, I don't want anything, but if you get one of these, give it to the person behind you a line next time. That's and funny. Like, it's so cool, but the act of just helping someone with, I've, I'm not gonna get that 10 bucks back, I don't care. It's totally worth 10 bucks to me, and it just, it, it, it brings me happiness, and I, I work on bringing that into other relationships. You know, someone stops you in an elevator, it's like, hey, you know, I, I'm stuck, I can't lose weight, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, l- let me hack that for you, and, and they're just there's this transaction. Yeah. How, when did you learn in, in your path that it wasn't transactional like that?
2: I think early on, because I realized that I could... I could, I like helping people. I think it's the right way to live. And I also think it's an important thing to do for yourself, regardless of whether or not you have a business. And I realized that a lot of people weren't helping me back. And it started to make me feel really bitter. And I had two choices. One, stop helping people, which kind of hurt me. And and it's like drinking poison and hoping other people die, (laughs) right? Or it was stop giving a crap whether or not they actually help you back. And that was the easy solution because when i kept helping people and stopped worrying about it it felt even better to help people because then you don't have the cost benefit analysis going on in your head you don't go like dave doesn't you don't have Dave going hey jordan can you introduce me to that uh, fitness gal that you had on your show and then i go hmm if i do this then i should have something that i ask about of him but i don't have anything that i need right now so i'm gonna say no and then save it for later and then you're like jordan's a dick he never gives me introductions when I ask for them. And meanwhile, it's not because I don't wanna help you, it's because, oh, I wanna get something back, so I gotta sit on it right now. Well, that's not really the way that this should be Mm -hmm. done. And so then, if I don't have to do cost-benefit analysis, then I can help basically an unlimited number of people, and it's really scalable. People go, I don't have time, I'll go broke if I help everyone. When I say help people, I mean making introductions, dropping a word of advice here and there. I'm not saying if you're a graphic designer for websites that you have to make free websites for everybody that asks you because you're being generous. That's not what this is about. This has to be done in a scalable way.
1: There's also some sense of judgment and integrity. Like I'm pretty sure that if someone on Twitter uh, reaches out and says, hey, I noticed you interviewed Jack." can you hook me up? You're going to be like, no, because it's It's not not, valuable for Shaq. And it's not valuable for them either, right? right? Because Shaq's not going to take the call. So you could, you know, burn that relationship. And a lot of times people get sort of offended at that. And you probably get the same thing I do. I've got literally a thousand people. Some of them friends who are like, can I come on Bulletproof Radio? And it's like, well, I'm planning certain topics and and it's booked up. And, you know, there's, there's only uh, whatever, a hundred and, 114 episodes a year. And you do the same thing. How do you handle the, saying no when you have all these people want to come on the jordan harbinger show
2: yeah there, that is something that happens all the time so right. the first thing i do is i make sure that everybody's really clear on the value proposition so it's what are you going to teach the audience yeah. here are the topics that i don't cover right and a lot of people go oh but i do want to talk about financial management or something and i say well i don't cover that i cover strategies from people that are going to help you do things that are great in your business or in your personal life they're going to help you learn you know i had general mccrystal on to talk about making tough decisions i had uh, robert green on to talk about the laws of human nature and how people manipulate us of course so if somebody comes on and says i want to talk about how to invest for retirement i say great how is that different from like like what people could google or find from any other financial planner And and by the way, we don't cover finance. And then they go, oh, um, let me think about that. And usually just that little hurdle is enough to get rid of a lot of the takers or just people who weren't thinking about the value for the audience. Because me as a a host, as an interviewer, my prime prime directive is I am an advocate for the audience. And this maybe goes back to my lawyer days. But I have to earn every single minute of a listener's attention. And so if I'm going here's a show with somebody that I don't really care about that you also don't really care about. Well, you get like one or two of those before people unsubscribe from your show.
1: Uh, I think a mutual friend of ours is Jay Abraham, Yeah, who's one of the most uh, just respected and successful marketing consultants uh, in existence. And I've become good friends with him. He's been on the show a couple of times. And I actually asked him to give a talk to all of Bulletproof, um, all the employees about having a fiduciary responsibility to your customers and and i feel that on bulletproof radio as well every minute of the show has to have an roi for the person who listens to it yes. or you don't have the guest on and if you're not clear on that and every interaction you tell people the right thing to do and i'll tell someone don't drink coffee if it's not right for mm-hmm. you right even though yes i might you know make a buck or something. If you you know buy a bag of bulletproof coffee or something, Your
2: trust is worth more. Yeah, it,
1: yeah. It, it's an integrity thing, and and that's where I'm leading with this question. Is um, there are people out there um, who are like you said the, the takers. Like I've got people who you know I've had people who you know steal my content. I've had to send them letters. Uh, you know, like sort of replicate things. You get the same sort of thing all the time. Sure. So how do you? And how have you learned from the people you've interviewed? Um other than Shaq, which is a good example there. How do you have that taker sense so you can get it really fast before you go to your board, you know, your board of friends?
2: Sure. You know, there's a couple of tells, and I'm thinking about this in real time because I actually haven't had to answer this question before, but there are a couple of tells. One, takers are inherently either very transactional initially, and I'll explain what that means in a second, or there's absolutely it's absolutely kind of a one-sided thing. So you get people that say things like, a taker will say something like, hey, Jordan, love your show. uh, And they'll list like the most recent episode or like something from a long time ago that they Googled. And they'll say, I really want an introduction to this person because I think they can help me do X. Oh God, that's a transparent one. It's really transparent. But you get a, and you get a really good feel for this in a pretty short period of time. And that might seem really obvious, because people go, oh, I can tell that. But the difference is, they might offer you something in return, But and so it sort of sounds like, oh, he's trying to do a trade, it's just not a really good trade for me. Somebody who's actually a giver, Mm -hmm. will usually say something like, hey Dave, I'm curious, I saw the interview that you did with Dr. Bredesen, for example, Mm -hmm. he seems really interesting, I'd love to have him on the show, because I loved what he taught there's a little bit of a different vibe there because you can tell I'm asking on behalf of my audience. Yeah. You know it's going to be a win for Dr. Bredesen to be on my show, and I'm asking you to literally send an email and give a recommendation. The difference between that and a taker is the taker usually says what... It, they're kind of asking what that person can do for them. Yeah. And it's very rarely something they plan on passing through. They might try to couch it as something like, this person can really help my company serve their customers better. Eh, maybe there's something like that. But you get a feeling. And the other thing is, a taker, it, you might have to get some experience with them. And it, I'm fine being, quote-unquote, burned by people one or two times because, again, I'm making a win-win introduction. Right. right. But if that same person... If I say, hey, I'd love an introduction to this person, and they say, no, I can't do that, and it's not a really good reason why, then I realize they're not going to 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 help me ever, and and the reason is really clear. It's Sure, if someone says, hey, I'm not comfortable making that introduction because I don't know Dr. Bredesen well enough, he actually was just a friend of a friend, and he right. happened to be in the same room, and then I say, fair enough, but if a, a taker will say something like, well... I need to use them for something later or I need that connection later and I don't want to waste it because they don't understand that networking is a muscle that grows with use and not a pie that gets eaten slice by slice. So takers look at networking as a pie that if they use up their connection, they can't use it again. Whereas guys like you and I, I would like to think we look at or I look at, I speak for myself, look at networking and relationship development as If I introduce you to 100 people, you're gonna be like, Jordan, I need to do something for you because I'm feeling freaking guilty that you've done all this stuff for me. I have to help you somehow. Like, I'm feeling the itch. And all of those 100 people that I introduce to you who are gonna have a good experience are also like, man, you really hooked this up. So you're building this bank of goodwill and that's what the giver really wants is the bank of goodwill, regardless of whether or not I have to spend that house money ever. I just want the goodwill. The taker's thinking of the immediate transactional reward, and if it's absent, they are just gone because they don't get what value is there for them. They're not looking long-term. That's why taking is a bad strategy. Even if you're a sociopath that cares about nobody but yourself, mm-hmm. it's still a better strategy to be giving because long-term, you get more goodwill and, and uh, you bank more social capital that way.
1: It takes a certain amount of personal development. Uh, Dr. Barry Margulon is a, a friend who's been on the show, one of 12 living grandmasters of the, the tradition that protects the emperors of China energetically and medically and even martial arts-wise. So just, That's crazy. And he's a, also a UCLA surgeon for 30 years. Wow. And just Dr. Strange was roughly based on his life without the yellow gloves and weird portals. Um, just a, a fantastic human. Bummer. And, no
2: portals. I know. Yeah.
1: Well, he he taught me these four categories uh, that were fascinating, really helped me see some, some things with networking and even within, you know, how to hire people. There's people who are win-win always, very rare. There's people who are, win-win most of the time but when they find that they've done something out of ego like they screwed up they make it right they apologize they they undo the damage they did and, and they're genuinely like okay i'll do better next time and that's most of us and then there's these things he calls them category threes these are people who are win-lose and they'll do things to make you lose but they don't know they're doing it they they tell themselves they're win-win but they have enough trauma and enough stuff going on that they sabotage other people and that it's always someone else's fault mm. and those are the worst kind of takers because they're genuinely hurt if you tell them they're a taker because they don't know. And those people will you know, steal stuff, steal, they'll steal your content, they'll steal your money, whatever, but it's always not them. Right. And then there's the sociopaths, ones you mentioned that are just win-lose and they they not, they like it, they hide it, and they're they're just bad people, right? Yeah. But for me to just sort of have that filter has been really helpful. Does that jive with your knowledge of people?
2: It does, yeah. I mean, I haven't thought about the categories like that, but I think that does make sense. And I, I realize that what I've noticed is at the top of business hierarchy, most people most people are givers, or at least they're trying to be. In many mm-hmm. ways, uh, even if they're super paranoid because they've been burned so many times, they'll still, in a situation like a mastermind talks or a curated conference, they'll be givers. And that's why I recommend people always go. Ugh, but I hate networking. I hate networking mixers. I always say never go to an event that is not curated. What yes. does curated mean? It means if you're showing up to an event where you had to uh, sign up on Eventbrite and that was the only requirement for entry, it's not curated. If you got invited to a quote-unquote networking mixer, it's not curated. If you get invited to an event and it's higher level and not only is it probably nice and possibly pricey, go to the best one you can afford, by the way. Yes. it You have to usually apply to get in. And that's not just some sort of BS... Fancy pants, you know, velvet rope. It's a real velvet rope in that conferences that are curated are curated well. And the reason is because if you have one or two people that don't belong there, everyone has their guard up at that point. And you want to go to an event where I can run into you in the hallway and then we both run into JJ Virgin and then Tucker Max walks by and we all have a conversation and no one's like, hey, can you put me on your thingamajig? God, yeah. And and even it just sort of happens that it, it organically that we want to do that with each other. But then if one person walks by and says, hey, oh my gosh, all four of you in one place, I'd love to come on your shows. We kind of all, at every sphincter in my body clenches up really tight. And then we kind of look at each other awkwardly and everybody goes to lunch, right? Uh, yeah. Separately. Yeah. And that's why you have to have these curated events because you want to be in a place where people don't have their guard up. So never go to an event that's not curated. Go to the best one you can afford. And additionally, if there's no curated event that you can find or that you can get into, start one of your yes. own. It doesn't have to have 400 people. It can be a dinner party with four people if you're in blockchain, right? Invite right. the people that you respect, that are nice, that treat each other well, and that are win-win, and that's you curating that event. It puts you in a great position, too, because now you're the curator of the event, which puts you in a kind of a spotlighted position.
1: Oh, yeah. and. And if you're one of the category fours, you probably know who you are, but if, if you're category three and, and you spread crap around you and you don't know why and you just haven't done the self-awareness work, people will know it. And then you will be banned from those events because of the curation process. So the reason that you spend money on a curated event is you paid someone to be a filter. Exactly. So when you walk in the room, you're gonna be with the good people. And so that's why you know your integrity is so important. I'm going to switch gears a bit. That was great advice, by the way. Thank you for sharing. It It helps me think through this in my own life. I want to talk with you about what you do for your own performance. You've talked to all these successful people. Sure. Uh, Let's talk about what you've changed in your sleep and what you did about that.
2: Oh my gosh. I've done a hell of a lot. It's funny because it is from networking and relationship development that I've found all of this great content. And I think a lot of people go, oh, well, I can just listen to podcasts and learn all this stuff. There's always going to be something that hasn't, it's not necessarily a secret nobody will share. There's plenty of that stuff oh, too, yeah. but there's there are things that just haven't gotten published yet that haven't, this is like your complete MO. I'm So I'm telling the audience, not you, because I'm telling you something you already know. There are things that aren't published yet. There are things that they can't put in writing because they don't have enough data to back it yet, yeah. but they know that this is true based on their experience and their current observations. You get that through relationships, yeah. right? You get that because some doctor group that's been working on it for 20 years says, all right, we're going to share this with you, but it's not in a paper yet because we're going to create this product on it. By the way, do you want to come in and test it? And therefore you get 3 years jump on <laughs> getting rid of your shoulder problem or oh, yeah. whatever. You know, and so what I've done for my sleep all comes from knowing guys like you and other folks that have invented really amazing tweaks that at, I'll admit I f- at first thought were total baloney, <laughs> like wearing tinted glasses, which I immediately thought, look at these knuckleheads. They're wearing stupid looking glasses and they say it's good for your sleep. How dumb are people? And then uh, I want to say you and, uh, and a couple other folks gave me a pair of blue blockers and I was like zonking out before... Uh, whereas before it would take me three, four hours to fall asleep looking at my phone or oh, yeah. watching TV. And so, things like, first of all, blue blockers, getting rid of blue light in my room, getting rid of these things uh, that disturb sleep, getting rid of things that I knew were causing issues but couldn't prove, like smells, uh, getting rid of anything in my area that's causing a little bit of toxic buildup, like scents and air fresheners and all that yeah, stuff. bad carpet and all that yeah th- these little these little things that now i know are are harmful made a massive dramatic difference in my sleep and it's funny that you should ask me about sleep because i found that that was people will go and they'll biohack from zero to a hundred and you go great cool so you've got the like 1.1 0.0001 percent 1, hack By closing your left nostril and looking up with your right eye only and raising your eyebrow, but you slept four hours last night. Right. (laughs) But you slept four hours last night because you looked at your you were reading Reddit all night. Right. Maybe that's just me. But you know, that that kind of thing, people are missing a lot of this. And I, I found this through I stumbled into most of my success in life through relationships. Even getting into law school was something that was that happened because I didn't originally get in. I asked dozens of my friends for help getting in, and they came up with a bunch of ideas. I tried a bunch of them. And one of the most off-the-wall ideas, which was write a letter to the admissions committee, put it in a very specific format, ask to be admitted for the year after that I wanted to be admitted, and then kill the year traveling abroad. That was a very unorthodox idea. I sent the letter off. I thought that was a waste of an hour, but YOLO, you know, and that was how I got into law school. Nice. And it was one of the best law schools in the United States. And just think about that. I got into this top 10 law school because I asked in the right way. I never would have thought of that on my own. I had to rely on my network for that type of advice and expertise because law students by nature are all type A, so they had all read 7,000 internet forums. And that idea had shown up on one forum, and it worked for somebody, and that filtered through the network and got back to me because my friends went, oh, crap, Jordan didn't get in. Anybody got any ideas? And so all of these different things have... Like, the relationships that I've made have dictated the, the positive course of my whole life. And when I look at things that are negative that have happened to me, like when I was a kid and I was lonely, it almost all comes down to not knowing who to ask for the right advice, help, or or some other connection. It, it's really been a game changer for me, speaking of your book.
1: Nice. I saw that organic plug. It's that was an like, accident. Almost You're like welcome. you went to, uh, to law school or something. Almost. <laughs> uh, now some of the stuff that we talked about here is is covered in game changers and i have three new sleep hacks and a lot of the sleep hack stuff you read online they're replications of my early things that i actually measure with eegs on my head uh, things like blacking out even the tiny leds um, that was I, I read a study from 1998 said i wonder if this really matters seriously and i tested it and wrote about that and like the honey and collagen before bed all those things and so like the whole idea of hacking your sleep has entered the the blogosphere, and there's new stuff, like so the things that aren't published yet, and I put three of those things in Game Changers. But most of the book is, it, the only reason that's there is the high-performing people like you who are on the show, they, they in the statistical analysis of the answers, they came up with sleep as something that many of them called out all the things on Earth they could have said that that mattered the most. So then, all right, what are you gonna do about it? And that kind of thinking is really cool. But I'm gonna ask you a question to close our interview that I don't normally ask, because you've already answered the top three things. And I've run an anti-aging nonprofit group for uh, 20 years now, and I'm on the record, and I actually believe that I'm going to make it to at least 180 and be in good shape. 180 years old? Damn straight. Damn. So how long are you going to live? Ooh,
2: interesting. I, I I never think about this. Until now. <laughs> I, it would be cool to hit 100, but I'm telling you, look, it's all about the quality of life <laughs> exactly. until then, right? So, so let, let me qualify it for you.
1: How long would you live if, as you aged, there weren't going to be adult undergarments, walkers, and forgetting your name?
2: Oh, I mean, I would look, I would love to live probably. Well, you say forever, Jordan, but you don't mean it because then you'll be like this weird relic that no one can relate to. (laughs) Oh man, it's tough. Probably as long as my grand until my grandkids are adults. So, what does that add up to if I have kids and it's like. Uh 140 sounds like a good number cuz then eventually you're you're just this weird alien and nobody knows how to talk to you right so 140 150 would be great nice back of the napkin math yeah I, I like that math i have one thing though i want to teach your listeners that i came here with that i think is important oh, please do that um one thing that i because a lot of people go look again i get it networking blah 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 jordan this guy's told me some stuff i know he's got a perspective on this great it's good to hear it from dave and jordan but there's one thing that i if i can get people to spend three minutes a day on i want them to do this because this is this will illustrate the power of having relationships and make it scalable every day when I'm waiting in line for coffee or I'm going to otherwise spend time waiting for a bus or a train or I'm in an airport gate, I'll spend three to four minutes maximum. I open up the texting app on my phone. I scroll all the way down to the bottom of the list. You know where the texts are where it's like, hey, where are you guys? And it's like 2016 and you did it, you know, like you had lunch with two people in San Francisco or something last time you were there. And I text those people, not necessarily the groups, but I'll text those people and go, hey, it's Jordan Harbinger. It's been a long time. I'd love an update on what you're doing right now and see uh, what the latest is with you. No worries if you don't have time to reply right now. I realize everyone's busy. And then you sign your name. And these are, this is, I do this with four or five people per day, people I haven't talked to in a long time. These are your weaker or dormant ties. And The reason I say, hey, uh, and I say, hey, uh, my name and their name, actually, the reason is because otherwise it seems like a mass text. And you're probably not in their phone anyway. Right, you might not, your (laughs) number might not be there. And you want to avoid them going, oh, I don't know who this is, so I'm going to ignore it. Or they're like, new phone, who dis, right? Right. You don't want that. So you say their name, then it's not a mass text. So they know it's not like, hey, friend, how are you? (laughs) And then they feel like a fool for answering. You ask for an update on what they're doing. You can, if you can remember... It's Jordan, we met at Cafe Gratitude at FinCon 2015 in San Diego, that's fine. Right. And then you say, no rush on the reply, I realize everyone's busy. And the reason we do that is it kills urgency. And urgency is a sales con- uh, sales term. When people are trying to sell you something, they build urgency. Get back to me as soon as you can, I have something really interesting to tell you. Well, we wanna kill urgency, because if I haven't heard from you in two years, and I hear from you out of the blue, and you ask me to call you back or text you back, which is what I'm usually doing, I'm thinking, is it Herbalife or Scientology? Amen. Right? So I ignore those. If I say no rush on the reply, it kills the urgency, which actually has increased, I've tested this, the response rate from 40-something percent to 70-something percent. And when you get these people replying to you, don't worry, you're not going to end up in protracted conversations. Everyone is truly busy. You start to reactivate these people. And you'll do this, let's say, to four people a day, five days a week, take the weekends off for all I care. That ends up being 20 to 25 people per week that you're kind of re-engaging, And you'll find that most people just have a nice word to say. Some people don't respond at all. But one person per week or every other week is going to come back with some sort of strange opportunity, either during that conversation or a few days later. And I can I can count uh, I, I need more fingers and toes to count each month or every other month. The amount of opportunities I get where one or two come back each week, that's like, hey, funny, I was just talking about you a few weeks ago. My board called me and asked me if I knew any speakers. Are you doing any speaking still? Yes, I am. Or, hey, I was just talking with a friend of mine. They're pitching shows to Hulu. You should totally do this. Do you want me to put you in touch? This is a numbers game. You can't just go after what you want from people that you want because most opportunities are over the horizon. You don't know who can help you. You don't know who you can help. You have no clue. And these weaker or dormant ties are just a farmland land full. It's a crop full of unexplored opportunities that you don't know you have from them and that they don't know they have for you. And the way you get it is to spend time you'd normally spend farting around on Instagram, reengaging through text. And I promise you, if you do this five days a week, engage four or five new people or old people for a month, you'll find opportunities in there. And then you'll start to actually freaking believe what Dave and I are telling you right now. <laughs> uh, Jordan, you're always, uh,
1: always adding value I'm if any of your show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, you've done a fantastic job of, I think, broadening and and upleveling uh, from just looking at just charming influence, but going out to overall success. And what I learned in putting together uh, game changers and looking at like what are the motivators, the drivers on on things like that is that uh, people want to be successful. The definition of success is different, but the paths to getting there are, are very much the same so I, I love it that you're talking to guys like Shaq uh, and you've talked to um, Dale Bredesen, and, and a bunch yeah. of a bunch of other people who, who are doing meaningful things to figure out their playbooks so I, I learned from stuff like that and you and I both have benefited enormously as from, as being podcast hosts to be able to pick someone like Robert Robert Green's brain and yeah. and learn and ask those questions I just learned a couple of things from you today uh, which is beautiful so thank you for what you do in the world keep cranking out your amazing show and uh, keep putting on your glasses for sleep because that actually does matter.
2: It does work. I <laughs> look call. I if there's one thing that I'm just looking at myself in the mirror and going, I can't freaking believe this works. It's blue blockers, man. That's All right, for sure. And
1: I'm I'm gonna just call them True Dark because it's more than blue for at least ah. those red ones you wear at night. So that, that's th- right. that's a company I started. I don't run it, but it's it's my company. The Cyclops and, goggles that I have next yeah, to the bed, the ones that the make True you Dark. look cool. Those yes, ones. yes, sir. Nice. All right, man. Thanks again.
0: Thank you.